Hello, Greyhounds. Welcome to another episode of Ted Lasso is Life, the podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Dwan. All right, we have a special guest today. He's Ted Lasso's production designer, a goddamn genius, as per Brendan Hunt, and a two-time Emmy nominee, Paul Cripps. How are you, Paul? I'm good, thank you. Thanks for inviting me on. Thank you so much for joining us today, especially since uh, you're traveling and have a busy schedule. So speaking of your schedule, you went to the Emmys last month for your second straight nomination. Congratulations. Thank you. Uh, one thing I found interesting was that for your nominated episodes for The Children and Beard After Hours, the majority of them took place away from the usual AFC Richmond sets. Did this factor into your decision to submit these episodes for Emmy consideration? Yes, definitely. Uh, I don't know if everybody knows about the rules for Emmys, but we were nominated for Series 1. And... Uh, in order to be nominated or be considered for the Emmys, again, you have to provide evidence over, I think it's three episodes that you have created uh, something like uh, 40% more new sets than originally. So obviously, uh, Bids Night Out was completely new locations and sets, so it seemed like the obvious choice to enter as an episode. I could have entered more than one, and I probably should have entered one of them. But we we met the criteria just by entering that episode. So that was one of the reasons uh, for using that episode. Although I do know it's become, well, what we call in the UK a bit Marmite. Uh, some people like it and some people don't like it. <laughs> so did you have more fun designing the sets for, for the children and Beard After Hours since... They obviously differ quite a bit from the standard football fair. Uh, yeah, I think I think I just wanted to enter those particular episodes because they showed it wasn't just about the original uh, design for the show that's been this, more or less the same through the whole two series. So it was also to show that we could do something quite different in terms of design and design a space that is um, used for you know, a big event, but also that we can we can follow Beard round Soho or London and, fi and find some interesting places to film and, and hopefully take you on a journey where you don't realise what's set-based and what's real locations. Um, and in that way, kind of create a world using all our opportunities. Yeah, so to kind of uh, elaborate on the point you mentioned there, um, when I found out personally, and I think a lot of other fans, um, quite shocking to find out um, when they film inside the pub that it's not literally inside the Crown and Anchor in Richmond. It's actually something you built from scratch, which is amazing. Yeah. Well, the original plan on the pilot, uh, uh, I think it was Bill Lawrence who wanted to film episode one in all the real locations and then build kind of copies of them on stage for the rest of the series. Um, but the way it worked out, we didn't actually have time to film in the pub at all on the first episode. So we ended up shooting it once I'd built it. So originally it was quite a identical reproduction of the interior. Um, we've actually made some changes to it in series two because of COVID, because it's quite a small interior. Even though it's quite a big pub, there are some areas that are a bit tight. So we've actually expanded it in certain areas, which I don't think you'd notice so much watching the show, but it, it gives us, the cast, crew, more space to work in in the pub. Um, so yeah, we, it was a weird thing that we never actually shot in the real pub, apart from the exterior. Um, but I do love, I it, it's a local pub to where I live, so I often do go in that pub, and it's quite nice to sit there and hear people talking about it in the background, about, you know, oh, this is where they, they shot it, you know, and it's like, no. Not quite, but you know, it's um, it, it always interests me to hear people talking about it. So you haven't had an, enough of a big urge to jump in and say, "No, I actually built it." No, I never, I never do that. No, not unless somebody knows I've 
done it or the, the you know some people at the pub sometimes recognize that i'm part of the filming and they'll sometimes say it but no i generally generally don't tell people typical british british modesty <laughs> maybe yeah uh so another note on the emmys Although only murders in the building won your category, you were very gracious in defeat, uh, shouting out the winner in your post. And then uh, hair and makeup designer Nikki Austin did something similar. Hannah Waddingham has said that there's a no assholes policy, which clearly extends to you fine folks behind the camera. So how does such a large group of genuinely good people join forces like this? Is Theo Park just like the best casting director ever? Does everyone just kind of follow Jason's lead? That's a very good question, actually. Uh, I think it. I think it comes from Jason. Jason was the person. Jason and Bill were the people who employed me. That's. I, I mean, I was pretty much the first person on board the show. Uh, I was brought on by a producer who didn't end up doing the show, and I was on before Tina, who was the actual series one producer. So this other producer, Simon, got me involved in a in a video call like this one with Jason and Bill. So I was the first one on board, and. I just got on with them really well. And I think they probably have picked people that they like. And maybe that's a kind of the group of people we've got is a kind of recommendation of what, you know, how they pick people for the team. Um, and, and it seems to be how they've, they've done it has led to the group of people that we have. So I would say, yes, it's probably, it's following, it's a little bit of luck, of course, but I think it's following Jason's kind of, feel and i think if jason doesn't um feel that people are right you know sometimes they move on from the project but the people who've stayed i think have the have the kind of ethos that he kind of he kind of led with but he doesn't he doesn't it's not like he says you know what we should be like or whatever but i think everybody sometimes follows his lead of things that we see in the media about him not necessarily that he's told us about Right, so I guess kind of more like leading by example than like specifically. Yeah, directly. absolutely, exactly, exactly. I mean, he's a very nice guy. He's a very nice collaborator, and he's always, you know, very nice about people. Um, so I suppose it just follows on from that, really. And he's very gracious, you know, when you hear his like you, you hear his um, his Emmy speech this year. He's very gracious about other people, and he's quite self depreciating. Again, like us Brits. So it, he kind of fits in with us as well, I suppose. Yeah, no wonder you guys get along. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, so on a related note, I noticed uh, you photobombing a couple of pictures from uh, the NFL game last weekend. Yeah. So it's uh, nice to see that um, the cast is welcoming enough to have the production crew hang with them because I'm sure like on your typical big uh, TV or movie production, the main cast probably won't even hand out with the supporting cast, let alone the production cast. So it's nice to see that everyone really gets along. Yeah, well, that's been a thing since series one, because after series one, um, it was mainly me and the, the boys who play the football team. Um, we we all started playing FIFA online in the break and, and during when lockdown was on. Um, and we kind of played as a team online. And so it was kind of, it was a weird thing. It was kind of geared towards people who were, who were gamers as well. Well, not really gamers. I mean, I just, I just played a bit, but um, so we had a Richmond team in the break. And so we ended up with a kind of WhatsApp group. And then we all ended up going out when we were back on production, when we were allowed to after COVID kind of reduced a bit. So yeah, it's been really nice to kind of hang out with the guys. Cause yes, you're right. I don't crew don't generally get to do that. I mean, I'm friendly with a few of the actors I've worked with in the past, but you know they're often on a different, a different timeline or in different places. But yeah, it's been really nice to hang out with them. And uh, that, so you to, mentioned... be honest, to be honest, the whole crew, the whole crew hangs out together. If if we go away on location anywhere, you know, you go to a bar and everybody's there. Literally everybody, you know, from <clears throat> locations, COVID, everybody's just hanging out in the bar. So it's a very kind of open open crew uh, and you do get that occasionally i've worked on another production which funnily enough was another kind of co-american production and people hung out a lot i mean we did go to quite a few foreign locations but 
everybody bonded quite well between departments, which doesn't always happen on every job. So you remember those jobs where you have a really, really great crew and everybody hangs out. They become the memorable jobs in your mind. That's wonderful to hear. Uh, so you mentioned FIFA, and of course, the big news recently, AFC Richmond being in FIFA 23. So have you had a chance to take the team out for a spin yet? Yeah, I have, actually. Uh, we we all got quite excited about it when the boys were in it, and they've, they've been talking about it online. And um, yeah, I had a quick go, and uh, yeah, it's really fun. Uh, I have to say that uh, Mo... Well, the one of the outfield players is probably the best person to play with. I think he's just incredible. But yeah, that it's really amazing, really amazing. Sorry, uh, when you say Mo, you mean uh, Cumberbatch? Yes, Cumberbatch. Sorry, should yeah, use so, Eric. Yeah. So you mean like literally play with Mo, uh, the person, or like with his character? No, in no the game? with his 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 avatar seems to be for me, incredibly easy to play with. He's so, so fast and so good. And to be honest, he is one of, you know, he's like one of the best players on the on the team as well. Um, and quite unassuming chap, really lovely. And so it's been, it's, it's been exciting to kind of play with him as a character on the, on the game, which is, yeah, it's really weird as well. I mean, it's quite weird to see something that you kind of help design the kind of, the whole image and everything and then suddenly it's it takes off in this big way it's quite it's quite surprising and as fate would have it i believe his uh, short film broke came out today so um everyone yeah. go check that out i believe so i haven't seen it but it looks really good the clips i've seen looks very good but he's very very driven and um driven but in a kind of quietly unassuming way but yeah i think he's a really talented guy so there were some big developments in the season two finale. So is it safe to say there'll be uh, some new sets we'll see in uh, season three? Yes, there are plenty of new sets. You know, uh, as you'd expect, I think we're going to we're going to spend some time at West Ham. Um, and yeah, there are some other other spaces which will be of interest and pro probably of surprise to to viewers. But uh, obviously, I can't really tell you anything about those. Yeah, I understand. Um, so on to previous seasons then, uh, one of the most memorable scenes in Beard After Hours and probably the entire series uh, was when Beard is hula hooping in the club. So was that hoop that, uh, something your team purchased or did like Brendan actually bring in one of his own? Well, Brendan does have hoops, but he didn't actually, I don't think he had any in series two, but he, he has brought them in before to use. Um, but I think I think the one he uses in the club was actually one of ours that we bought for him because I don't think he brought his over for series two. But he is a master of it, and uh, it was great to see him kind of actually do his whole thing in the club. Uh, and I was actually there; I was able to be there that day. It was it was a really lovely set to design that one. Uh, it was it was a big empty space. Uh, it's like an event space under railway arches. And uh, it was just great to turn it into something c completely different and colourful in terms of creating a kind of beautiful neon, neon lit club. Yeah, I'm definitely glad you mentioned that because I'm sure a lot of people just assume that you guys just brought in the cameras into some random club. But no, you built that uh, from scratch. Yeah, we built a, we built it in a dance floor. We built scaffolding for lights. We we hung the hoops and and. Uh, we created all those kind of church-like um, cross neons for that actual scene. So the whole club was created from a kind of em an empty space. And possibly the most important question about Beard After Hours, did you actually wear that cowboy hat for the entire uh, filming of that episode? <laughs> the cowboy hat, yeah. I was got, it's, it's, it's a funny... Um, I kind of really liked that idea that, you know, there was a a weird box behind the bar which had all that strange clothing. It's very beard, you know, and it's... I really like that episode because it brought out elements of beard that we just didn't know about. And he's one of the most kind of mysterious characters in the first series. We don't learn a lot about beard. 
except that he has this strange relationship with Jane. Um, but I think that episode brought out more about him and where he comes from. And I think, to be honest, there's going to be more of that in series three. Even potentially in terms of finding out a bit more of the backstory about, you know, how Beard and Ted met that kind of thing. Oh, that sounds very interesting. Yeah. And before we move on, I must say that it is a travesty that Brendan Hunt did not get nominated for an Emmy this year because this was above and beyond his season one performance. And yeah, it's just. Yeah, I agree. I think there was some there were some missed opportunities for the Emmys. I mean, uh, another one is uh, Jackie, our costume designer, who who got missed as well, which I found more uh surprising than anything else really i mean it was really lovely that me and nikki got a nod but i think you know i can't understand why jackie wouldn't deserve one you know in terms of just if you think about the the costumes that uh rebecca and keely wear you know it's just she does some wonderful stuff and also having to cope with all that stuff about the football and the different teams and all that kind of stuff i, I think it's a shame she didn't get a nomination i'm hoping next year yeah and Hopefully for Phil Dunster as well, because yeah, Phil is great. I mean, he's so he's so wonderful, and he's he's so funny as well in real life. Um, but yeah, that's a real shame as well. Yeah, because um, leading up to the Emmys, I kind of did like a a series every Sunday where I spotlighted all the Emmy nominees, but I also took some time to show some appreciation to people who got snubbed as well and i was saying for phil he literally could have went two routes like if he wanted to go dramatic man city with the hug at the end with roy that's like one of the lasting images of season two and if he wanted to go comedic he could do the scene in the signal with um roy where they're just throwing insults back and forth to each other so like he had like two perfect paths that could have been chosen unfortunately that me committee decided otherwise yeah absolutely is it's a it's a shame um and i think phil is so good at that character and that character has has quite an arc in terms of the way it's he's his character is changing as well it's it's really interesting to watch yeah like if you told me in season one that jamie would have been such a good guy and like a team player of all things like i would have had a hard time believing it but Credit to Phil Dunster for um, making it believable. And of course, the wonderful writing staff as well. Yeah, absolutely. Hats off to them, really, because, you know, it's... But I think that's the thing. It's like, you know, each character is like an onion. You slowly, through the series, you start to peel away and understand why they're the person that they are. And I think that particularly applies to, um, to Phil's character, to Jamie, where I think we start off thinking he's a bit one-dimensional maybe and then slowly he kind of reveals his character through through series two particularly so i think it's really great and i will say i really hope uh your onion line was a reference to a ted and i believe uh, early in season one when he was talking about uh nathan <laughs> yeah maybe yeah i've forgotten that it seems it seems so it doesn't it kind of seems long ago but it's also it, you know, you remember these things quite clearly, but then I, I sometimes people say things, and I just, oh yeah, that was in that was in episode. <laughs> you know, I because sometimes when you're working, you're concentrating on an episode so much, and then when you stop shooting it and you're on to the next one, you kind of you kind of forget everything. And I really sometimes have to go back and remind myself in terms of the how the story is progressing, because sometimes you're concentrated so much on the next one that you completely forget. And also, I I never used to see any, anything of them once we'd stopped filming until they went out and the, everybody, I saw them the same time as everybody else. So sometimes it was just like, oh, yeah, I forgot we did that. You know, it's like <laughs> a very strange situation, but it, it happens a lot. Man, you got to get uh, Apple TV to help you with that. I mean, you work on the show, they can probably send some screeners, right? Yeah, no. I, well, this year they've... they've um, I'm hoping that they might send me some cuts beforehand, but I mean, I mean, it's quite nice in a way because you, it kind of, it makes you, although you've been working on it all this time, it's like, it's kind of seeing it afresh and it's quite lovely. And the post and editing guys and the music guys sound are so good that it's like, 
it's wonderful to kind of see it fresh again. And then I go, oh yeah, of course, and all that. And then I remember what we did in each episode. Mm -hmm. So it, it's not a it's not a horrible thing to to kind of come in and watch it cold again. Mm -hmm. I mean, like everything, when you do your own work, you sometimes think, oh no, oh, you know, oh, I left that, I should have done that, you know, but but generally it's a really nice experience. That's good. So in an interview with Zach Braff on Deadline, he mentioned a super cute story of how an eight-year-old kid came up to him and said, high five tree, a reference to Ted high-fiving the coat rack in Rebecca's office. So yeah. how does that feel to be a, a part of your legacy, so to speak? <laughs> yeah it's, it's quite funny because i keep running into that tree at different places uh i was on another production and then there was the the tree was in a location we went to and everybody kind of thought i was quite strange because i did high five the tree as we went out this, this <laughs> track. but also I love that you did that yeah i went to we we were shooting at another football club recently and it was weird because there was we were shooting in a kind of executive box with Rebecca watching a, a Richmond game, and and the, out the corner of my eye, I could just see in this other box there was a tree, there was a tree, coat stand watching us, and I was like, oh, there's another one, He's kind of following us around. But yeah, it's great, and that that also that was just a prop that we bought in. It wasn't a thing where it was part of an original script. It was a thing that we quite liked as a prop for her office, and then Jason kind of, you know rift off it in terms of high-fiving the tree so that's another of those kind of things where sometimes you do things and it and it kind of affects the script and they play off things that you've given them in the set which is a lovely thing uh to give uh, bill lawrence's flowers i think uh, zach said in your interview that uh, he was actually one that whispered to jason high-five the tree on your way out or yeah, something there you go i didn't remember that so as for another one of Ted Lasso's legacies, I've had a number of therapists and other professionals praise the show's depiction of mental health. And of course, countless fans have said how much the show makes them feel happy and better. And then personally, when I interviewed editor AJ Cataline, I thanked him for helping make the funeral episode since it made me realize that like Ted and Rebecca, I had to deal with the trauma from my own father's death. So how does it feel like to work on a show that has such a profound effect on people's lives and has helped spotlight mental health in mainstream media? Uh, I think it's it's very moving and it's very humbling in a way that people have connected with it in that way. I think it's wonderful that it's having a positive effect on people. And I think it's great that we can take on board that actually People can speak openly about things, um, uh, which are, I think is difficult for all of us, uh, especially things like grief and death of loved ones. Um, even if it's, you know, even if it's just your dog, even if it's Earl Greyhound, you know, I mean, it's it's good for people to talk about that. And I think particularly in England, um, we have a terrible suicide rate in men. Um, I think in Britain, suicide is the biggest killer of men between the ages of 19 and 55. Wow. Um, it's something like 4,000 men a year. And it's statistically massively more than women. So I think anything that kind of promotes the idea that men talk, you know, I think Diamond Dogs is kind of a thing which is, <clears throat> you know, it's a bit of it's a bit of a joke, all the joke about Roy not doing it, but it is about people talking about things and not just talking about sports or you know, uh, and anything that can get people talking about those kind of issues of grief and you know feeling depressed or feeling low or feeling down, I think is a good thing. Um, and to hear some of the stories come back about people who have got stuff going on in their life and ted has really helped i think it's just it's just a lovely thing and it gives another kind of layer to to your work you know that and and sometimes i've often thought in the past that my work is sometimes you know what do you do oh, i work in tv and a lot of people don't watch television in the uk so they go oh you know i, I don't really watch tv and sometimes you think it's kind of you know it's not maybe not that worthwhile in terms of, you know, you're not working in the NHS, you're, you're working on a bit of fluff that people watch in the evening. 
But, you know, when people come back with stories that, you know, it's changed them or it's made them feel better when they've, they're ill or it's helped them to cope with something or in a difficult time, I think that makes you feel so much better about what you do because you don't feel so much that you work in a frivolous in industry. And I also think that that was big during lockdown because people were desperately wanting to kind of, I think people wanted to connect via TV in a way that they were, they didn't have much else to do except watch shows. So they were connecting with people and talking about shows they were watching. And I think that's a lovely thing in that it could promote people talking and being nicer to each other as well is such a great thing. Yeah, I think it was really kind of the perfect storm with the pandemic hitting and then yeah. a show like Ted Lasso coming that preaches kindness and being open with each other to just, yeah, just perfect timing. Yeah, indeed. Yeah. Speaking of timing, when we were emailing each other, I was proofreading one of my responses and my spelling grammar app flagged a sentence mentioning mental health. And it confused me because we didn't discuss that. And it turns out you have a line in your signature with the phone number that people can call if they're having issues. And I think that's just a, a really, really amazing thing for you to do. Yeah, I, had, I did that a couple of years ago. We have a new mental health charity in our industry in the UK because I think it's, you know, it's it's not the hardest job in the world. It's not going down a mine. It's not working in a factory, but it's it's long hours and it can be um, it can work on your self esteem and your your mental health sometimes in a in, in a derogatory way. And we have a new mental health charity working in the industry to try and promote good mental health and you know good hours. And the moment we're as an industry trying to reduce the number of hours we work. Um, but so I started putting that on, especially because I had a I had some people in my life who were being affected by it, uh, both friends um, and, and family. And I, I just wanted to let people know, even on an email, that you see something at the bottom of a page, because maybe even if people don't want to talk about it, they might just see it at the bottom of a page and then, you know, they've got it, they've got a contact. So it sounds like you're a big advocate for mental health. I think uh, in a previous interview, you've said that Jason kind of gave you like the general gist of the Ted Lasso story, if that's correct. So did that kind of draw you into working on this project at all? No, not really. Um, it's just something I've, I, I, I got to a point a, a few years back where I was finding it quite tough in the industry to, you know, it's early starts and i was finding it hard to do the hours i'm not a morning person which doesn't help um and i i went into teaching i went to teach at university for a couple of years um and that uh university the ual in london the university of the arts london is uh it's very proactive on the mental health uh kind of way of doing stuff they have mental health first aiders they train tutors to be mental health first aiders and i really i really like that because i could see it could really help people and there were a lot of students at the time suffering with mental health i mean this was pre-pandemic but even then they were they were struggling um and it was really helpful and it was really helpful to actually put that as part of your you weren't just teaching art or production design or whatever but you were also kind of pushing forward you know, talking about mental health or getting some help. So I think if you can do that as you're working and trying to push that to the fore, even though we're all so busy all the time doing stuff. So it's always been a thing in my mind. Um, plus the thing about male suicide in this country. So I think it's something good to push, really. Um, but it, it wasn't something that necessarily attracted me to Ted Lasso. In fact, that wasn't a major thing in terms of what we thought the sort, what or what I felt the the series was about but it you when you read the scripts you kind of you can kind of feel that there is this kind of there's this interest in people's health and and happiness really i guess i think it just comes through the writing yeah there's definitely a lot of um empathy between the characters so fellow Ted Lasso fan Lindsay posted an amazing observation about Ted and Nate's confrontation in the season two finale. There's a bit of wall dividing them. And then on one side, Ted is being shown through an open door 
And that makes sense because at one point he says, what have I got to learn? So he's open to hearing what Nate, to hearing why Nate is mad at him. And then on the other side of the wall, Nate's standing behind a closed glass window. And of course, Nate just lashes out at Ted and storms off, not even giving him a chance to respond. You put a lot of great work into creating this Richmond set. Did you imagine getting such a sublime shot like this out of it? Well, you would hope that any set you do has elements which can sustain over a longer period and provide different shots. And also when you get different directors, you get different eyes on the set. And some directors come up with things that you entirely didn't think of in terms of when you first built the set. Uh, and but then again, sometimes they do something you 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 think, oh, yeah, that that there was a reason there why I did that, you know, and and the sight lines in that office were really important to me, like day one. So the fact that people are still using that to create shots that have kind of elements of truth in them as well and elements of kind of truth that we don't even realize in terms of, you know, these these things that people see when they analyze it a lot more than we have time for is is a great thing and i think that's the wonderful thing about having sets like the training center which are what we call technically composite sets which means it's lots of rooms that are actually physically linked rather than having a set where you walk off you have to go to another studio and you're in the next room so all, all the rooms in the training center are kind of linked and in the same stage, so you can walk between them. Um, and that allows for shooting between sets, whether it's walking with a camera or just shooting through. And that, there's something wonderful about that in terms of being able to create shots and also staining, sustaining originality through a very long or a number of series where you can keep coming up with shots. I think when you think of something like the UK office or the American office, there were still interesting shots that they were doing in like series seven because it's an open plan set and you can see through to places. It just it just gives you more interest and more options. Yeah, so you mentioned um, how sometimes some directors, they'll see something with the set that you didn't, uh, necessarily envision yourself you have like an example of a specific scene or shot like that um oh, that's a very good point um well i just think there's there's been certain elements where <clears throat> directors and dops have like for instance uh the window between the locker room and ted's office at some points we have taken we have now taken that window out you know and shots have gone through that window and the window has been digitally replaced, you know, so it's almost, you know, and that was something I never, ever envisaged. I just thought you'd look through it, but to travel through it is quite an amazing thing. Um, and, and the thought of doing that is is not something I really investigated, but I think it's great. It's a really amazing kind of thing to do. And then to your point of how um, you wanted kind of everything in the training center to link together, uh, one of my favorite memories of an example of that is near the beginning of season two, where you see Nate starting to be a wanker to um, Will, Will the Kitman, yeah. and in one scene he specifically closes all the doors in a in a row so that Will has to yeah. open each one back up. I think that was a really uh, fun example of that. Yeah, there is a running joke in in Ted's room about the the door in series two because we created this door for we created well we changed the door between the place where roy is and nate is and ted and beard are we changed that in series two for that particular gag so that he could come through and then finally slide the door but then we needed a door that we could also run the camera through so it became quite a large sliding door and now there are a myriad of jokes that also get into the script about me creating a door that was too big um which <laughs> is a quite funny in joke but it sometimes gets a bit like oh god not again the, the mention of the door but yeah but it's a great scene it's a really lovely scene i also i felt in a way protective uh, when i watched that scene myself i felt protective protective of will the kit man because charlie who plays will i worked with him when he was about 12 
um, on another production, on a BBC production of a children's book called The Borrowers. And we were out in South Africa and he came out with his mum. And because most of the other characters are small and tiny, they were not there at the same time. So he was there out on his own in in Cape Town with his mum for a, for a number of months. And um, my kids came out and saw the production. And so it's kind of memorable for me. And so when Will uh, Will gets treated badly, I was like, oh, no, it's it's Charlie. I kind of felt for him in a kind of you know, fatherly way. Oh, that's but he's sweet. great. He's such a great actor. He's brilliant. He's so funny. Yeah, like if you see like a, a candid photo of Charlie versus like a photo of Will from the the show, they look like almost two completely different people. Yeah, absolutely. He's very different in in real life, but he's he's very sweet and very funny as well. He's really good. Uh, in your interview with the Lasso Effect podcast, Nikki says hi. You mentioned there were a couple of items Juno loved so much. He said, "Oh my god!" And then the writers worked it into the script. My guess is that uh, one of them was the pink leopard. Yeah, well, the one the one thing she really got excited about was uh, a mirror in her dressing room in series two, uh, which is a very expensive mirror. Um, it's a neon edged mirror, um, but it it was not in the script. It was actually. Um, it was just part of our set decoration because both myself and Kate, the set decorator, loved it. And then we found out on the day because somebody told me um, uh, Gina's just been screaming about the mirror on set. And that normally means that an actor doesn't like it and you're in trouble. <laughs> but actually, it was good. She absolutely loved it. Uh, and it's also a mirror that she's coveted for a while because she can't afford one either. And they are just immensely expensive. And we all kind of realized that we all love that mirror and she was very very happy that she had had it in her dressing room as keely <laughs> so sounds like we're gonna try to work some more mirror shots in season three <laughs> yeah yeah uh we haven't been in her dressing room this year though so far so um we've not had the chance to have it back oh. so was the pink leopard actually the other item you were referencing in that uh yeah i mean she's 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 gone wild about quite a few of the things we've brought in um but yeah the pink leopard is is certainly something that she really loves um uh trixie bell is the name of the pink leopard um uh and yes she she's definitely fallen in love with that statue we have to be very careful with that one <laughs> yeah because i when i heard that um that line from the podcast, um, I remember how Rory was growling at it at the end of the season. So I, I thought that that was the working to the script part. Yeah, no, definitely. I mean, it, the 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 leopard became more important as we went on because I think probably because they heard that me and Gino were talking about it. And obviously Gino talked to them about it. But yes, it, it did get worked in more post post arriving on set. But it's also part of that, you know, it, it's a little bit of a callback to the lion and panda discussion in series one from the advert, you, you know, in the car park scene when they talk about, you know, what would you rather be? So there there are a lot of kind of hints of other things. And, you know, it's one of the, obviously we know it's one of the things that the writers and Jason really love is the callbacks, not only to previous series, but other things. So, yes, it's definitely worked its way in because of that as well. Oh, that's brilliant. I didn't even think of the callback angle. Yeah. I think it's definitely, it's part of why it's there. As a fellow creative, I'm a writer at a marketing agency. I'm curious, do you prefer the carte blanche you had at the beginning of the series or do you rather have some more structure and direction? Um, well, I still have quite a bit of carte blanche in that... Um, Generally, uh, the the stage directions, as we call them, which is the kind of part of the script which tells us what the room might look like or where the where the people are, are very simple, and um, they're only specific if it's a specific prop or if it's sometimes the the writers are telling me something American that I might not know so well as a Brit. 
Um, but otherwise, I tend to have a free reign um, in terms of coming up with ideas and ideas for the sets. So I suppose, I suppose it's always quite difficult at the start of a series when you're creating something that you don't know if it's going to work, A, it's, a, it's going to work, B, um, whether the creator is going to like it. So I think it's less stressful since then because, you know, I, I know we've created now a world and you have a world that you know and that you can work within. So it becomes a little bit stressful. But yes, I suppose there is something creating something out of thin air, which is quite exciting. On a related note, hearing you recount that story so many times of how you were like one of the few people at the beginning of the series that was like actually on location, it made me made it, it made me think of the famous line, if you build it, they will come. Yeah, we use that line a lot. Uh, and I remember saying that to Tina, the producer, you know, when we were talking about, well, should we just get on and build it? And we were joking about that. But there is a certain amount of things that, you know, you can talk about things for a long time and you can discuss it and everybody has a different picture in your head, in their head of what it's going to be like. And sometimes you just have to get down and build it. And if they don't like it, they don't like it. But at least if you've got something concrete in front of you, you can all discuss it. I mean, that's why obviously trying to visualize stuff and create it, but even concepts, even it's not the same as being in a set or being in a location when it's dressed, you know, you sometimes you just have to do it and you can refine it and you can change it. What the wonderful thing about TV is that, you know, it's not a 300 million pound building project, you know, we can change it and, and we can, we can tear a wall down. We can put a door in somewhere else. So we, we you know, the best thing is to just be brave and go on and build it and hope, hope you get it right. Mm -hmm. I noticed that uh, you're a fan of the NBA. Jason is a big fan as well, attending many games and even having played in the Celebrity All-Star Game. So do you guys yeah. uh, talk basketball a lot? We have done in the past. Yeah, I was talking about um, uh, there has been a recent series about the Lakers. I don't know if you've seen it. Uh, the Showtime one, right? Yeah. No, um, I haven't. I heard it's okay. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. But I'm a big basketball fan. And that, that was kind of the time that just just after that time was when I was a kind of kid watching NBA stuff. Um, and I've always loved basketball and mainly because I had a Canadian uh, sports teacher when I was at school and he, he got me interested in basketball and volleyball actually. Um, but uh, yeah, I talked to Jason about the, the Lakers series and he actually, I believe he worked as an intern at the Lakers for a while before he went off to do improv. Oh, wow. I think it might have been something like his first job. Wow. So he said, oh, I, I didn't just watch it, Paul. I lived it. You know? <laughs> that's, uh, such a, that's such a Jason line to say. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, but yeah, we have talked about stuff. Um, yeah, and I do like American sports. Um, but I've also tried to get him interested in cricket, but he hasn't come yet. But uh, <laughs> uh, I, did, I did try and get him to a cricket game over the summer. But I did... Maybe he's not such a kind of summer sport fan, you know, maybe I'm not sure whether he likes baseball. Um, I haven't asked him that actually, probably does, but I know he's definitely more a kind of basketball fan and football fan than anything else really. Yeah. And that's soccer, not American football. I mean, he likes American football, but I think he goes to way more soccer matches than American football. Yeah, because they only have what, like three NFL games in London this season? Yeah. But I think even so in America, I think he probably goes to soccer quite a bit, but not so much football. So I don't know if you saw, but uh, yesterday, I think he was uh, in an Arsenal pub with Brendan, but for some reason he was wearing a, a city sweater, or I think you guys call it a jumper. Do you guys ever like rib him for like wearing like a million teams different sweaters? No, not really, because he, he I think he, I think he professes to be a Manchester City fan. Um, but uh, I think he's, I think often, like Brendan's a diehard Arsenal fan, but I think often when uh, Americans come over, we're not expecting them to be a particular fan of a particular team. 
I mean, people here are quite uh, strong in their opinions when they're, you know, they're fans. And often it's either where they come from or it's like the first match they went to or if their dad was a supporter of that team. Uh, I'm stuck with a very small, um, uh, unsuccessful club because it was my local club, Oxford United. So, yeah, I mean, I think also between the, all the cast members who all support different teams, there's quite a bit of ribbing. When we go to watch games in a bar, there's a mm-hmm. lot of, you know, catcalling and stuff. But mm-hmm. no, I don't think anybody would really. Although I did wear a Man City top the other day because it's um, it's a specific uh, kit uh, that relates back to the Hacienda Club in the kind of uh, clubbing days of Manchester. And Tahib, who's a big Man United supporter, was really upset though. So, so, yeah, people do get upset about it, but he can't get upset with Jason for too long because he's just, he'll be funny about it. Yeah. On a related note, um, for that John Wingsnight guy, do you know who wrote in that joke where he supports both City and United? Because that's like obviously blasphemy. Yeah, but that's it. I think that was a, that was a very brilliant, succinct way to sell him as not a great guy. Because if you're that guy and you just support a team because they're doing well, everybody's like, oh, God, you know. <laughs> yeah. you know? And that that is such a succinct line in the UK for saying, oh, my God, what, a, what an ass, you know. And, <laughs> um yeah, it's a great it's a great line. Also, Patrick Bellardi, who's the actor who plays it, I've worked with him many times before, and he's so good at kind of being that kind of not so great guy, and he plays it so well. I think you know it's kind of perfect line for him. Yeah, to for give. sure. There's a fun line in in uh, for the children where Higgins fumbles his phone, but then he manages to catch it just before it drops. Was that a real phone or was it a prop? No, they're all real phones. Oh wow! Apple TV must have a pretty big budget if they can risk all these phones dropping. Uh, yeah, they don't like us to throw them around too much, but yeah, all the all the Apple um, devices on the show are all real and working. And yeah, we don't really use any kind of prop stuff. Most of the stuff we we have is real. So um, yeah, if he's juggling, he's juggling a real iPhone. Well, another way to look at it, it is. You guys had as much faith in Jeremy as Ted had in Higgins. Yeah, I mean, he's a very good comic actor and he's very good at physical comedy as well. So he can do all that. You know, I think he's 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 got it within him to do that kind of slapstick as well. He's he's hilarious. Yeah, and especially since he's, I think, a great bass player that he has obviously yeah, great hand coordination. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Definitely. Yeah, he's quite incredible. Uh, a couple questions about Beard after hours. When Beard jumped off the roof into the dumpster, was that him or was it a stuntman? It was a stuntman. Um, we had um, Brendan up on the rooftop, and although climbing out of the skip itself was quite a stunt, <laughs> almost because <laughs> it was quite a large skip, and he was struggling to get out of it. But um, so Brendan did that. But yeah, it was a stuntman. I. I, I, it did take my breath away. I was there that night and it was a quite a, he, he was on a wire, the stuntman, but it was a fast jump and he jumped into boxes in the, in the skip and it was a small area to hit and it was, it was very hard to do. And he was very close to the edge at one stage. Um, so it's quite a breathtaking stunt and hats off to the, I can't remember the name's guy, the name of the guy who did it, but it was really good. It was, it was, and and we wanted to make that feel there was a lot of discussion about how we can make that as good as possible and make it feel like um beard has done it himself we were talking about face replacement at one point and um but i thought it worked really well and it, it also but we also wanted to be in context of the of the show so kind of jumping into a rubbish skip was probably the best kind of stunt thing we could do with the story where it still felt fairly real yeah, it definitely felt quite real. Yeah. So when when Beard leaves um, the pub lads and the Oxford bruvs, as I call them, here we call them bros, and yeah. then he starts walking down 
the the hallway with all the neon lights and then he goes into the room with all the trippy tvs was there a specific inspiration behind that uh not really i mean i i'm not sure in terms of uh i can't remember exactly whether it was noted it was like something in the stage directions i'm not sure if it was a particular thing for the um script writers but i i just kept thinking i want it to be like those kind of psychedelic 60s brainwashing sequences like uh they had in 60s films a bit like uh the parallax view if you've ever seen that or there's uh there's a sequence in um a michael kane film i think it's uh the Crest file where people are kind of brainwashed and i kind of felt it should be a bit like that um that scene went through a number of iterations because it was supposed to be seen that filmed at um the club where we shot some of the other elements of bones and honey um but time wise we couldn't fit it all in so in the end it was recreated in the studio um uh, we we basically had to remodel Beard's flat in order to make another room in Bones and Huddy in order to be able to film that. So it was it was um it was a scene that travelled a bit and changed in what it was. Uh, it was always him watching the TVs, but it just changed in terms of location. Oh, interesting. Speaking of location, one thing that really blew my mind was I think you said there's something like seventeen different locations that that actually make up the stadium yes yeah it's a real kind of jigsaw jigsaw of different areas uh that we use for that so part part of it is our studio set part of it is Hayes and yedding part of it is uh the real selhurst park the crystal palace stadium and then the pitch itself the games are shot on Hayes and yedding's pitch which is our, which serves as our training pitch, but also we film all our football games on there against Green, and then there's a CGI version of Selhurst Park of Nelson Road, which then gets put in around the the the, the match day scenes. So it's quite complicated, and also I often have to draw a map every time of where everybody's sitting, like where Rebecca's box is where the coaches' dugouts are. So the dugouts are separate as well, so they're shot separately. So so there's quite a thing of creating a kind of mental map where everything is, where the tunnel is, and so that people have the right eye lines in the shot and it, it all fits together. We've done a kind of official map of, of how it is, but it's never together, so you never see all those things in one place mm -hmm. apart from the finished show. That's mm -hmm. the only place it all comes together. So sometimes it is challenging thinking about it, uh, but I, I really love making those kind of mental maps in my head. And because we have to create people's journeys from many different locations, if I can kind of, if we can create those things in our head that makes a kind of mental journey by different things, it's putting in key things that link each bit to each, you know, it might be the same colors running through, or it might be a particular prop or something, or people moving through the space who are in both spaces, your your brain starts to make that journey believable. So are there like any one or two of those 17 that are like particularly difficult or challenging to set up and shoot or? Uh, well, Selhurst Park is always quite tricky to shoot in because obviously it's limited availability because they're playing football games there. Uh, there's also a certain amount of Crystal Palace stuff that we have to cover up. Uh, and so when you're looking at the games, Crystal Palace will be, um, it's often the tunnel and the sideline when, like when Ted walked off with his panic attack or, or the time when he walked up, up to the box to tell, um, ask Rebecca if he could sub off Roy. Um, so those are real Crystal Palace. That's quite a tricky place to film. And then, so, Rebecca's executive box is a separate place. Um, so she has to, she's not watching anything when they're reacting. <laughs> so it's quite hard for the actors because they're all reacting in different spaces that aren't joined together. Yeah. That's how you can tell that they're really good. Yeah. That's acting. <laughs> <laughs> 
So although I've talked to people from the show before, this is the first time I've had a guest on my podcast. Thanks again for coming because oh. I just recently launched it. So I want to start a new tradition. My podcast and fan pages are, of course, called Ted Lasso is Live. So my question to you is, what is the one Ted Lasso memory you'll remember for the rest of your life? Ooh, that's tricky. That's really tricky. You mean from the show or from the making of the show? Could be either or. Just one thing that you'll always remember because it had such a lasting effect on you. Uh, I I would say when I watched the show for the first time and I watched it the same time as everybody else watched it, series one, I would say the dart scene because that really struck a chord with me because the dart scene went through a number of different iterations about how that was going to um, how that was going to be, what it was going to be. It was start, It started as a cricket game where Rupert invited Ted to play cricket, which we didn't really kind of work. And uh, and then finally it became darts in the pub. And then literally Jason went off and wrote that stuff like half an hour before. And, and when I saw it in the show, I just thought, wow, that is just phenomenal. That is, that, that scene is just, the, to me, it's still the best scene, I think, in Series 1 and probably Series 2. It re really sells everything so well. Uh, so I think if it was a memory I'd take away, I think it's the dart scene. Yeah, I will say that anecdotally, it's definitely the scene that fans resonate with the most. Like, always quoting, beach curious, not judgmental. Yeah, which is weird because I don't think it's a real quote. Yeah, because... Um, I don't think actually... Yeah, I think there's a site that actually says that, that um, Walt Whitman actually did not say that himself. So yeah. it's kind of funny how that got attributed to him via Ted. Yeah, I think it's one of those strange things where somebody has written it as a graffiti somewhere, and then it's become a thing which everybody believes he said, but it didn't. He didn't say, and that happens quite a lot, I think, with certain phrases, and it doesn't really matter in a way because it's still such a a wonderful kind of phrase in terms of a way to live your life even and yeah i think i think that that scene is just something where i went wow okay wow this is really something special yeah and i i think as i've heard legend has it that jason actually did like a few different versions of it when he was yeah he was riffing definitely riffing off it because i think he I mean, it was a big scene because it was a big kind of, you know, coming up against Rupert. It was a big thing. But I don't think quite, I quite realized how big a thing it was in terms of that scene until seeing it on the show. And that happens quite a lot in terms of the scenes, you know. And I love some of the scenes, some of the things that are written, but then other things catch you by surprise, you know, about how much intense heart or drama they've got in them which is sometimes surprising which is great because it keeps it fresh as well in terms of me watching it even though i've worked on it yeah it's pretty cool that um even though you've worked on the show that you can still find new enjoyment out of it every time you watch yeah yeah absolutely it's really i mean i do obviously i do that with some of my other shows i know i know some actors don't ever watch stuff they're in but i love to watch things i'm in but i also like to watch it with other people like i watch i watch series one and two with my family you know with my wife and my daughter and just to see how they react to it as well is really lovely speaking of lovely this was a really lovely chat paul i really appreciate the time you took to uh, talk to me um all the best for season three uh, we can't wait to watch it yeah we all can't wait to watch it. <laughs> it's going on a bit long but you know yeah um i know i know people are, are kind of asking you know where when's it going to be out where is it you know can we have a trailer or whatever but i i think the only thing i would say is it's kind of how we say with football managers in this country you know when when things aren't going right you you have to keep the faith and rely that jason is trying to make the best best possible series he can and that's why particularly it's taking long this year because 
he basically wants to be there to film all of it. And the years before, we've been able to shoot stuff that he's not in, you know, what we call double banked. So we shoot some stuff that he's not in at the same time we're shooting stuff he's in. But he's so caring about how the series is going to come out that he wants to be there even if he's not in the scene so that's why it's taken longer this year that's the only really real reason why it's taking longer um is that we can't we can't double up on scenes where he's not in it but i and there's also been a lot of negative press about why we're taking so long to film it but i would say that i i think that's a real shame because he's what he's trying to do is make it the best possible series he can in case it is the last one, and we don't know if it is the last one, but in case it is, I think he just wants to make it the best he possibly can, and that, and therefore it has taken a bit longer. And I just hope people can kind of stay patient with it and hope that you know they they like it as much as the first two. I think it's going to be great personally, from what I've seen so far. I think it's going to be great, and if I would say anything, just hold on to it and wait for episode six. That's all I'm going to say. Episode six, you said? Yeah. All right. Well, definitely keep that in mind. And I guess to just summarize what you just kind of said, believe in Jason is what we yeah, should do. Well, <laughs> yeah. Believe. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm sure Apple will make an announcement soon. I don't know when, when it's going out. We don't, we don't know. We don't really talk about those things, but you know, it's been tricky because people get other offers and stuff and, you know, but everybody is determined to to stay on as long as they can and make, you know, finish this thing, but finish it in such a way that Jason is really happy and uh, and we feel it's right and it's good and it's it's hopefully lives up to it because there's so much expectation. I think that's the other thing that's pushed us into a longer thing. So much expectation about the series that we want to make it right. Yeah, because hearing the other podcast before, like, there's a lot of talk about oh from season one to season two there's such a big jump in like audience expectation and then from two to three it's like probably fivefold that yeah absolutely and it's just and we all feel that i think i think people do feel that you know Uh, but we're trusting in the fact that it's you know i think it's funny it's making us laugh on set so it's got i think it's it's funny (laughs) also i think you've got to get get the get the the heartfelt and the drama elements right as well and i i just think that but really is a practical issue is the only reason that it's been delayed really is that we can't uh film as much as we could last year without jason because he he wants to be there and be so involved which is great because he makes every scene better there's not a scene that he's not around that he doesn't make better in some way even if it's a tiny little way because he just he just has an ability to kind of riff on set and change things and um i don't think i i don't think there's anybody working on any of the production who would say that jason doesn't come and, and adds value to any scene even if he's not in it yeah hannah's bitched i think multiple times about how she'll be going into scene and right before she's about to film it, Jason will throw like a bunch of new written lines at her. So. Yeah. But often they're better. That's the, the thing, you know, you can, yeah, the key part. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And it's really hard for actors. I know when you change lines before, cause they, you know, they worked on that. Some actors have different processes, but some like to work on in advance a lot on the script. And then when you throw another line in, that can be difficult, but you know, I think he's, I think he's, He's got a natural innate ability to to kind of get a good line or get a get a feeling across in a slightly better way. He's he's very talented. Yeah, all that uh, SNL experience coming through. Yeah, maybe, maybe indeed. Well, Paul, I definitely appreciate uh, you giving uh, that context on the filming for us because a lot of fans have been getting restless, and of course, you mentioned there are different reports out there that may or may not be true so it's definitely good to hear from the source so appreciate that yeah yeah i think i think it's you know we're in we're in the final couple of episodes now so you know we're not far away from finishing but and, and it depends when apple want to put it out and also i you know i don't know what's happening in terms of you know whether they want to put it out when it's 
vi viable for Emmy appreciation. You know, that's also a deadline that's now imminent and I'm sure, but you know, it it will it will happen shortly. But I would just say, you know, the reason it's late is because we're trying to make the best series we can. And we definitely appreciate that. Thanks a lot for everything, Paul. Thank you. Nice to see you. Thanks, you too. Cheers. Bye. And that concludes our episode for today. Thank you very much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, we greatly appreciate it if you could follow, rate, and review. It's the easiest and free way to support us. Be like Ted and give us a five-star certified fresh review. And for more of my content, follow me on Instagram at Ted Lasso is Life. I'm the most comprehensive Ted Lasso page out there with videos, news, fun facts, analysis, and of course, memes. Until next time, Greyhounds, onward, forward. <laughs>